Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. So, hey, um, so hey, what an aggressive way to start. So, hey, I already had your attention. There was no need for me to say it's like those people who are like, now listen, just say what you're going to say. I hope I'm not one of those people who says, now listen, maybe I am. Anyway, this is oh, this has not got off to a good start. Hey, um, I, oh, hey, I did it again. Jeez, I'm terrible at talking. Why do I have so many podcasts? Why have I not got better at this over the years? Hannah Mouncey is today's guest on the podcast, and uh, I'm a great fan of hers. Um, I've only met her once. Uh, we were at a podcast, live podcast, for a podcast called The Outer Sanctum, which is an AFL football podcast. Uh, all female. Uh, I mention that because, well, I mean, because it's still unusual that it's an all-female football podcast. And um, it's a podcast that I absolutely adore. Uh, it is a great example of, you know, that different representation leads to different conversations. You know, there is there there is an aspect of, you know, uh, I guess being a, you know, a white man in my mid-40s, um, you know, there is an aspect of representation and what representation means that you just are blind to uh until you are not i guess and because it doesn't really affect your world you know i talk a lot about that idea that you know i was a a kid growing up on a dairy farm in country victoria you know 250 people you know my dad lives on the road his dad built and my brother also you know works that same farm that was that was my world when I was growing up, but I still, in the back of my head, obviously thought that I could be a stand-up comedian, and often I think about the fact that the reason I thought that was that despite the fact that it wasn't my story in any way, when I looked at stand-up comedians, they were people who kind of looked like me. So when someone is being represented, even in a subtle way, I never made that you know connection as a child. I don't think I made it until a few years ago, probably you know, which is way too late to be thinking about these things. But obviously, the amplification of different voices leads to this, right? Representation is about more than just saying a person of color can do this job or a, you know, a, a woman can do this job or a trans person can do this job. It's 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 not about saying these people uh, have the adequate skills to do this job. But opening ourselves up to the idea that they will be bringing different voices and perspectives and ideas to that conversation and that they are healthy for all of us, right? It's exciting. My brain works better. I think more about football and better about football and about things that I never imagined, you know, had things that I hadn't seen before, you know? Uh, And a lot of that came through, you know, this podcast, The Outer Sanctum, which I just... You know, it's just a it's a, w- a wonderful podcast in its own right, but the effect that it's had on me has been more profound than that, which is that the way that they talk about something that I have loved all my life, AFL football, and that I think about and talk about all the time, they have opened up new ways of looking at that game that I love, and they have been things that have made me appreciate the game more. So... Anyway, that's a very long, rambly way of saying that um, I was doing a, a live podcast they were doing, and I was a guest. Uh, I was very honoured to be a guest on the podcast, and uh, I met Hannah there. Hannah is a, a, a footballer, uh, not just a footballer, as we will learn in this podcast, but has become 
semi-well-known, I suppose, as being, uh, you know, a trans woman who, um, you know, plays at a level that means that there was, you know, a debate around the AFL draft and and whether she was eligible for the AFL draft. And, you know, I didn't th- – these are kind of – that's your headline issue, right? That's what you would know Hannah from if you, you know, read the newspapers. But as we kind of get to in this podcast, it's it's very much – not her story or or what she's really about. And in this conversation, I've thought about it a bit since and I, I, I was like, I hope that we what I what I was aiming to do was have a conversation with Hannah that didn't make it all about, you know, um, you know, let's talk about the newspaper headlines and, you know, let's make, you know, my entire conversation with you being about you being trans. Uh, at the same time, I didn't want to obviously ignore that because, you know, I'm learning as well, um, you know, in this. So I hope I got the balance of that right. Um, you know, like I said, we're, I'm I'm learning, um, and I often don't get it right. Uh, I hope this is a, a, you know a good and enjoyable conversation. Um, I I love talking to Hannah. I, we <laughs> the, the thing about this podcast sometimes is that I. <laughs> I, I just tend to go where the, the other person's face lights up. You know, I, I often hope that we get to a conversation about something that they wished that somebody had asked them about, but people rarely did. And so there's, you know, a lot more about what it's like to play handball in this than there is about what it's like to be trans. But that's because it seemed to be what Hannah wanted to talk about. And I, I love handball. And so I was excited to talk about it. And, uh, Anyway, look, anyway, you don't need all this. You can make up your own mind about what you think about the conversation. But um, anyway, these are long rambles at the start, which really I do just so I can plug my shows. So uh, the shows uh, that I have on sale at the moment, Will Informed, uh, that is on sale uh, in Hobart, almost sold out in Hobart, and also for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Not in Adelaide and Brisbane this year for their comedy festivals and fringe festivals, but um, hopefully we'll go to those cities at some stage during the year and some other cities. Comedy.com.au is the place for that. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Uh, I have just unsuccessful. I tried. The dogs were up on the floor, and I didn't know if they were going to be distracting. That already almost pulled down the computer onto the floor, and I thought, well, maybe if I throw that bottle downstairs, you know, that they will um, go downstairs and they will play with the bottle and they'll be distracted. But instead, uh, just as we've started the podcast, they've come back upstairs with the bottle. So that was very unsuccessful. So I've had a failure so far, but I'm hoping the rest of this will go better than my unsuccessful mission to be the Cesar Milan of this podcast. Uh, welcome to Philosophy to my guest. Every podcast starts this exact same way. I ask the guests who they are. So who are you? Uh, I am Hannah Mouncey. Now, Hannah, um, how would people know you, like, publicly, perhaps? Um, look, probably as someone who... Look, I, I think a lot of people think I've sort of got this agenda and went and played football. And that's probably what they know me better for, is playing football and trying to push all these trans issues and stuff. But, um, yeah, look, 
that's what most people know me for. That's all right. But to be honest, it's sort of a bit, it, it doesn't really match up, I think, with where I'm actually at. So um, that's, I reckon that's a really interesting point to start because when you are somebody who has become a bit representative of a time in our culture, right? You know, like we, we were going to have to have these conversations around trans issues in sport and they have been having, you know, happening you know, for years, yeah. you know, but there's always going to be somebody. They don't happen in a vacuum. There's always yeah. going to be somebody or a group of somebodies that have to be the people who um, are on the front line of that. But as you said, you then become known for being that aspect of your world and your personality as being front street of who you are. So let's park that for a bit and yeah. let's tell me a little bit about actually who you are. Who were you before the person that, you know, who were you? And I mean, in the sense of yeah. like, before people know you as this person on the um, edge of the AFL, they're reading stories about you in the paper. People are starting to make assumptions about you based on never having met yeah. you, knowing nothing about you. Take me back a little bit before that and tell me a bit about who you are. Look, I, to be honest, I mean, I'm pretty unremarkable and I, I still see that as the case now. You know, I mean, I always played sport before, um, you know, which God knows how many people do that in Australia, but they do, you know, so that in itself is not unique. Um, you know, I, you know, there's not really anything I, I feel that actually really sets me apart from anyone else. You know, I... By the way, Hannah, I've made a really bad mistake by doing that bottle thing because now <laughs> Wendy was just going to chew it for the rest that's of all the good. podcast. No, no, so I thought cool. I probably should jump <laughs> just take it back and take that out of the equation. Yeah, well, that, that's it. Look, to be honest, I, I'm probably a You know, a lot of the things everyone does, I'm, I'm pretty similar. I've got, I've got one dog now, had two. I grew up around animals, grew up in... Um, I lived in Sydney till I was about 10 or 11 and then moved to Albury till I was about 18 and, and then been in Canberra ever since. And, you know, I, I've done what everyone else has done, you know, played sport. Um, you know, I say what everyone else has done in that regard in the level I was playing sport isn't probably something everyone else has done. And I was playing handball at quite a high level and, and still am now. Um, but aside from that, you know, I'm really not any different to anyone else you meet down the street. The, the only thing is that, people see now is because I'm trans and playing sport, that becomes a really big issue. And, you know, I am really, really naive about these things, like just terribly so in that, you know, the way I see it, you know, being trans for me is, is a, a really, really small part of who I am. So I don't really think about it that much. Um, and nor should I really. Um, and playing sport isn't really anything particularly unique either. I've done my whole life. So when the two came together, I was really surprised at where it went. Um, and I, I don't see myself as any different to anyone else, but I think a lot of people do. So, um, you know, I, I don't really know how to describe who I was before because I'm still the same person now, if not by name and appearance, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely it does. But I, I'm interested, I guess, perhaps in when you unwittingly, you know, I mean, not unwittingly. Because yeah, no, I was pretty dumb. Yeah, but, well, you, you said naively, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, have, have just been living your life and just being you. Yeah. But in the essence of doing that, in the process of doing that, what makes it different is, like you said, if I wanted to, you know, do what you were doing, it would not be the same story. Well, actually, it probably no. would be because I've got terrible hips and <laughs> I'm way too old. So it'd be a it'd, remarkable It'd be pretty back. impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be up for that, yeah. But look, I mean, I guess the thing is, and this is where I went into it. So I started playing football. I played football growing up all through school and, and everything else. And um, 
basically I, I had nothing on for a period as far as sport goes. Like there's a real gap in the calendar with handball and things like that. And I just went, oh, play football for something to do. Um, you know, and that was, I was still living in Canberra at that point. Halfway through the year, someone from Melbourne called me and not Melbourne Football Club, but Melbourne in general basically said, look, do you want to play AFLW? And I just sort of said, sure, why not? Because I, I sort of feel like if, if someone offers you an opportunity, just say yes to it and see where it goes. Um, and, you know, I went down, trialed with a few clubs and they went pretty well. Um, like I know one club wasn't interested because I'm pretty fat and slow. So that <laughs> wasn't, you know, so whatever. But, you know, there were two clubs that were pretty keen in, in taking me. So I, I knew beforehand that, before the draft that I would get drafted. And then obviously everything blew up in sort of the last two or three days beforehand around my eligibility and stuff. And, you know, I, I was just really naive going into it because, I, like I said, everything for me is pretty normal. So I, going into it, thought, right, oh, yep, someone will obviously notice that I'm trans at some point. Like so, like I say, I'm six foot 100 kilos and sound like Barry White. So it's sort of, <laughs> people are going to work this out, you know. So, But I didn't realize it would be as big a story as it was. Right. I sort of thought, you know, because the AFLW draft, you know, sort of doesn't get the attention and the AFLW doesn't really get the attention and respect that it should. So automatically going, yep, this will be well inside the pages of the paper anyway. And then, you know, probably right in the middle of the sport pages, right down the back end in a tiny little corner, I thought it might be like, oh, by the way, one of the players happens to be trans. Mm. And that's where I sort of came from. And so, you know, clearly I was very, very wrong in in how it was taken. So so when those things change, because if you go into something quite, naively in yep. that sense you know you go in with sort of just going oh yeah well this might be a point of interest but it's not yeah gonna yeah. be the huge thing that it then well i mean the huge thing that at least some elements of the media or you know some elements of the community have a vested interest in making it into a big yeah, thing. I, I suddenly sort of, you're in the middle of that what does that feel like look it was really bizarre um you know it was it was really strange you know i, I mean i definitely didn't expect it um and you know, it's just a very surreal sort of experience because I've just gone from, you know, being another person on the street literally two days before to not being able to see a newspaper or turn on the TV without my face looking back at me. And and that's really strange. Um, you know, you, you go online, be it on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and you're scrolling through and you're seeing news articles about you and all this sort of stuff. And it's just, it's it's really, really strange. Um, you know, it's almost, it's, I, I really can't describe it. And not just newspaper articles though, because I mean, I always say that, like, I mean, look, yeah. you know, I, I am a big believer in as much as possible not reading the comments, but I've had... That's my next tattoo I've on had, my forehead, <laughs> done. <laughs> but I've had, you know... 23 years to sort of, you know, like the boiling frog to gradually get used to, you know, the understanding that there are plenty of people out there, even people listening to this podcast today who who don't like me, who don't like my opinions, who don't yep. like the way I sound, who don't who listen to this podcast and the thing they hate about this podcast is me. And I'm like, well, well you're making what? your own choices, yeah, guys. Exactly. Yeah. But, but the point is I've got used to that. But you – I always find it like – or like a reality show contestant or something. That's something exactly comes what out it was. Yeah. And you're famous overnight and everybody has a firm opinion one way or the other about you. Yeah. Regardless of what those opinions are, regardless of whether they're incredibly supportive and lovely, which I'm sure there were yeah, there plenty are, of, yeah. or the other end, which you know you're aware there was plenty of as well. Yeah, that it must be an overwhelming thing to immediately find yourself in the middle of that. Regardless, yeah, it, it took a while. I mean, look, 
Everyone says don't read the comments, but I guarantee you every single person reads the comments. Yeah, like, that's why people say do. don't read the comments. Yeah, exactly. Because they've read the comments exactly. previously. <laughs> so, you know, everyone reads the comments about themselves. And and you know what? It, it takes a little while to get used to copying a, a lot of shit that way. But in the end, you get used to it. Like you just do. Yeah. And, and you learn that it actually really doesn't matter. Um, especially when you see the same comment a hundred times, 200 times. You're going, guys, this go away and come up with something original. Like if you do that and it's legitimately funny, mm. I'll probably have a laugh at it. You know, I'm not, you know, that thin skinned, but when the, and, and you know, people pick on things where it's like that, you know, I'll go, you're fat. And I'm going, I'm not that, I'm not really. I say I am, but I'm not. And I'm going, you've got a million other things to work with and you go there. Like, right. you know, so you're sort of going like, guys, this is not really, you know, it's, it's really unoriginal. You know, I mean, the, the one comment I saw was actually before all this and because and, I was playing handball and, and, you know, I played at World Championships in Spain a, a few years ago with the men's team back in 2013 and, you know, there's a big thing going on then and it didn't get too massive, but it was big enough. I saw one comment they going, guys, can we just calm down? She's from Australia. She's shit on the men's team. Should we shit on the women's team? It's fine. <laughs> I'm going, you know what? I'll pay that. Yeah. I'll pay that. We, we're not overly competitive a lot of the time. And, and luckily that's changed now. Um, but back then it sort of held true. So, you know, it's you, you have to look at it and, and take it all with a grain of salt. And you also learn very quickly who to listen to and who not to listen to and you know, you you get a circle of people around you that you're really comfortable around you, you're having, or you're really comfortable to have around you. Um, and I don't know. I mean, you probably find the same thing. I think most people, you know, whether they're well known or not, you know, can tell within five ten minutes whether they want some, whether they're going to get on with someone. But I think once you become known in any sort of way, that sort of comes down to about a minute. You know, and so. You very quickly learn, okay, this is someone to listen to, this is someone not listen to, I like this person, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so you very quickly develop that. And so I think it's a way of protecting yourself almost because you're going, right, these people I'm really close with, there's half a dozen people, I care what they think, the rest of you just do whatever. And so that actually really changed because, you know, a lot of people, you know, just in their day-to-day life will go, I'll work with this person and do that. Yeah, I know a heap of people and they're all friends, but they're not really. You know, and so you very quickly you go, right, these are my friends, these are not my friends, done. And that's not a... Some of the people that aren't, you're saying, aren't your friends, they're not bad people. It's just that you know the people who actually really care about you and not the person that they've seen in the paper or they meet you and go, oh my God, are you the footballer? And it's like straight away, right, you're in that pile, you know. So, yeah. um, you know, it's you just learn to, to probably change the way that you interact with people a bit and a bit more wary about... Um, who you let in and who you don't. But in the end, all the comments and stuff, you just get used to it, really. So tell me about handball first, because yeah. I, I, I have an absolute fascination with handball yeah. because I uh, moved to Sydney in the year uh, 2000. Yeah. So it was for, I was doing Triple J Breakfast Show and part of what we were doing was, oh, Ramona's coming up to join you now. Let's yeah, see if we're having a cuddle. As well. She's one of the people I will hang out with. Uh, so yeah, well, well you've made you made an immediate impression <laughs> on her. That's what I can clearly say. Because normally she'll come and sit on my lap. Okay, girls, yeah, that's fine. That's, that's okay. Right. You, why don't you just both sit over there yeah. and mock your dad over here? <laughs> um, so uh, handball, I'm interested in yeah. because I went to see some of the tickets we got to the Olympics to watch the Australians play in the handball. Yeah. And as you said, like, well, as that person who was making that joke sort of implied back then, you know, the reason that Australia had got 
um, you know, into like a team in the Olympics in handball was because we had the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Do you mean like yeah. it wasn't like Australia was normally of the level to qualify yeah, yeah. at that point? But why was it that you got – because it's an amazing – sport uh handball because yeah. i think i think when people hear handball there's still an element of the community that that's the one thing that holds it back in australia is they think it's a game you play at school and they go you yeah. weirdo why are you doing that is there a chance that people are less informed about what it means to be uh to play to be a handball player than they are about trans issues oh totally <laughs> totally the first thing is a, a they think it's non-contact you know that's the first thing they go wow you're hitting each other you're not allowed to do that i'm like well we're doing it so we clearly are yeah. um yeah, I think so. And and look, I mean, I got into it like, watching it at the Sydney Olympics. And, you know, I know we only got in by hosting, but we actually had a really good team then. Yeah, like, and it was I, great I'm, to watch. I'm mates with a lot of the people that were playing there and they're brilliant players, like really mm. quality players. Um, but, you know, Australia, we don't have a huge handball culture. And part of that is it's an indoor sport, you know, and basketball is really the only one that took off in Australia. And that's because we had the NBA on TV and Michael Jordan. And so, you know, that doesn't help because you can't drive past it and go what's that you know like you see junior cricket soccer whatever um but i got into it through watching at the sydney olympics so uh i was 11 or 12 and the olympics were on and you know i got two younger brothers um and you know all mad on sport and my mum is as well my dad is a bit too but not as much and you know we're always going to go to the olympics so just go in the ballot to get tickets and and we had no idea what handball was and we saw baseball and volleyball as well, and handball was by far the most entertaining of the lot. So we, we saw two games at the Olympics um, in the men's side. So it was Korea and Yugoslavia and Spain and Tunisia, I think. Um, and yeah, I, I really wanted to play it then, but handball in Australia, it's a, it's a really small sport. You know, really, you can't start playing till you're 16 because we don't have the funds or the volunteers to actually run junior programs right. successfully. And the year after the Olympics, we moved to Albury as well. So there's not really anything going on in Sydney. There's probably even less going to be going on in Albury. So I didn't really get to it. And then I moved to Canberra when I was 18. And um, just so I can't remember how I saw it. it was, I saw something about handball in Canberra. I might've even been at a gym next door to where it was being played. And I just went down and, and trained one day um, and f- just basically went from there. And it was the best thing I ever did. Um, you know, like all my really close friends, bar one or two, are all through handball. Um, and I was really lucky the time I got involved too because the, the team in Canberra was really, really strong, except for the players from Europe um, who obviously weren't Australian citizens. Every player we had at that point had either played for Australia or was going to. So we had a really strong team. Um, you know, our coach at the time in Canberra was also coaching the national team and he's a really, really good mate of mine now and, you know, he's, he'd competed at I think half a dozen world championships, Sydney Olympics, all sorts of stuff. So I was really lucky in that, you know, when you go into a sport and you're being coached by someone who quite obviously knows their stuff really, really well, and you're playing with people of a really high standard, you have to adapt to that or you just drift off and don't play. So I was really, really lucky. And um, yeah, started training with the national team, I think in 2000 and I say 2010, 11. Um, and it just sort of went from there. And so I, I played my first games for Australia in 2012, um, World Championships 2013, and um, just basically played every tournament Australia played in between then and, and 2015 when I, I stopped playing basically to transition. Um, and I thought at that point, you know, I would love to play again, but probably wasn't going to happen. So that's, I mean, that's interesting to me is like because you are, I mean, 
you know, it's a it's it's all your life, yeah. right? Um, but you know, there are the, at that point you're like, well, this has been such a huge part of me as yeah. well. This you know, sport, you know, these people that I've met, you know, this environment that that must be as confronting. Yeah, I, I really struggled with that, you know, because when I when I walked away from the sport to transition, you know, I was at the point where I didn't have a choice. Like I was an absolute man. I, I literally couldn't do it. Um, and I was at the point where I'm going, I don't care if I play again or not. Like I want to, but if I don't, I don't care. Okay. And, you know, got home, you know, started all the treatments, transition, and quite clearly after that, yeah, I did care. Yeah. And that was actually a really difficult thing to part with. Um you know, it was just pure coincidence. Two or three months after my last tournament, the actual IOC regulations that are there now came out and um, around trans participation. And, and I had no idea that was happening. So that was a nice little coincidence, but that gave me some sort of hope. But that was really hard because my whole life up to that point, you know, I'd been playing sport. It was all I really did. Um, and when you're playing for a national team and you're training all the time and traveling all the time, it really defines you. Even if you don't realize it, you know, you define yourself by it. And so to lose that as well as, you know, starting this really massive process at the same time, I didn't really deal with it very well. Well, I can um, imagine it's a time where, I mean, cause as you said, well, I mean, I can't imagine yeah. of course, but like the, the idea that, you'd want as many of the other structures or safety nets in your life to still yeah. be there and you're giving up a huge part of it because anyone who's been a, an athlete in that sense knows that so much of just the structure of your day-to-day, yeah. the structure of your social group, the structure of the way that your life is kind of organised and put together tends to be around the structure of that sport. Yeah, and That's- it's I'm in a bit of a different space now, but back then, and I've always been like this, and then I've never had a huge group of friends, but the ones I've been friends with I've been really close with and... You know, so you might not see those people all the time just through different things that are going on, but you're always part of a team. And so you've always still got that. Um, even if you're not, you know, they're the, not the people you'd go to if something was going on, you still mates with them and all that. And, you know, you then lose that, um, which is really, really difficult. And at the same time too, you know, you're starting this process of transitioning and, you know, I've, I'm really, really lucky and I had some really, really supportive people around me, but... And I'm still really good friends with now, which I'm really thankful for. But the thing is, they're going through a process of grieving as well. And it's really difficult because they really want to support the person who's going through it, whoever it might be. But at the same time, they're losing the person they know and grieving that. And, you know, and they're being, but they're being asked to support the person through this. And, and it's really common to feel like that person who you're supporting is actually taking your best friend away. Right. You know, and that's natural and normal. And it doesn't reflect anything negative on the person at all who feels that. It's normal. Yeah. So everyone's going through these really big changes. Did you have a, an awareness of that at the time? Or uh, is that something that you've later sort of come to reflect on or learn? I, I had an awareness of it at the time. But I didn't realize quite how significant it was. Because I can imagine at the time that might have felt more like you were like, why aren't you being supportive? No, it was actually the opposite. They were really, really supportive. Um, You know, but the thing is, and and I had an awareness of the fact that that was going to be part of it. But I don't think I realized to the degree and I definitely didn't um, recognize it as much as I should have because... I'm still sitting there going, well, I'm still me, mm. but you're not. 
And as much as I feel like I'm still the same person, to them, you're not. And eventually you might be. They might go, oh, yeah, you are the same person as before. Mm. But that'll probably take a while. Like, I'm talking years. Especially because when you start hormone treatment and, and you know, I'll be the first to say, I've, I've heard all these stories before I started. I've gone, yeah, that won't be me. You become a really shitty teenager again. Right. Because you just do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was. And so, you know, quite frankly, you're a pain in the ass to put up with. And I was exactly that. So, you know, these people that supported me really, really went above and beyond because I probably wouldn't have been able to put up with me. Yeah. And yet they were still there and still doing it. So I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that because to be honest, I was not someone you would probably want. Well, you, I was not someone you would want to be around in that period because, you know, I'm going through all this stuff and probably being very, well, was being very, very selfish in the way I was looking at things, even if I didn't realize it at the time. Yeah. Um, and going, well, these are the people that support me through it, so I'm going to go to them without realizing that putting way too much on these people, like you just are. So, you know, it, it's a really difficult, difficult time. And I, I'm really lucky I've come out of it the other side and, you know, those people that are there, I'm still really good friends with. Um, and, you know, it. but at the same time, it, it was not easy for anyone. It was probably easiest on me. Right. And that's saying something because it was shit. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? So>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I ask people on this podcast if they have a philosophy and yeah. this feels like a nice time to ask that question. So I'm going to ask you, do you have a philosophy towards anything? Uh, I think probably got a couple depending yeah. on what it is. Okay, good. You know, well, I mean, number one, I think just don't be a dickhead. Like just in general yeah, in life, good just start. don't. And then if you can achieve that, you know, if you can't achieve that, go yeah. home. But if you can achieve that, just <laughs> Always just be kind. Yeah. You know, I think that and and just show people love. Like that has to be above everything else because you don't know what people are going through. And even if they're going through nothing, it doesn't hurt to be nice. People really appreciate it and they feel good afterwards. And to be honest, you probably feel good afterwards. You know, and, and that's probably just the overall, you know, approach to just dealing with people and, and not judging anyone and things like that. And you know, if, if you'd asked me that question five years ago, I probably would have been completely different. But everything I've been through and um, it, it really, you know, I'm really lucky and I've got a really good friend of mine and she taught me more than anyone. You know, you know, everyone sort of goes, oh, yeah, I'm accepting on this and this. And yeah, you are. But she showed me what it was really like to actually be accepting and not judgmental and all those things. And I really learned that off her um, and, you know, and what it actually is to actually be kind you know, with that, whereas everyone else go, I am, but are you as kind as you could be, you know? And, and she really taught me that, but it depends what it is, you know, with sport, I'm the complete opposite. I'm a bit of a dick. So, okay. Yeah. Well, let's pause yeah. then before we get to the dick. Cause every, yeah. every, because also everyone is yeah everything, right? Yeah, yeah. We are all these, like, you know, when you say, I could not love more when you say be more kind, it's, it's the thing that I am constantly trying to remind myself of. Yeah. That there are just genuine moments in your day where you can be more kind. Yeah. Or just don't be as rushed or make sure you take out your headphones. Like, you know, even yeah, they yeah. don't they don't this person doesn't really care that you're on the phone. But you know what it'd be nicer if you little got off the phone and yeah. like even just in those really those basics before you move on to the sort of bigger picture, you know, elements of being kind. Yeah. But the idea that you don't know what somebody else is going through yeah. has become more and more 
you know, we I won't go into the details because it's not my story to yeah. tell. But we had a close friend who uh, took his own life this year, and you just would not have known from the outside if you looked at this person's life and you made an assumption about where their life was at. You never yeah. would have assumed that their brain was telling them a completely different story, yeah. right? And it's very important if you're ever in that situation for people to, you know, like A, if you are in a position to ask for help, never be afraid to ask for help. But B, recognize that sometimes people, when they're in that position, aren't in a position to be able to ask for help. So we have to be on the lookout for, you know, times when we can offer that help or offer that kindness or just in general that person in the street who was just shitty to you maybe something really bad happened in their day and just don't worry about it too much you know yeah and and that's where where i'm at with it you know because you know something someone might not be going through anything right now but you're just nice to them yeah and that might mean that later on if they are going through something they need help they feel comfortable coming to you you know you never know the payoff and and i you know, I mean, I, I had my own really, really serious mental health issues and that shaped a lot of that philosophy on things. You know, I mean, I, th- there was a period, and this is why I said, I said to someone, I can't remember what interview it was in, I said, look, the stuff that went on with football was nothing because prior to that, you know, if you go back less than a year beforehand, I was in hospital 20 times in like three months or six months or something like that. I can't remember what it was and spent three weeks in a in a um, rehab facility up in Sydney, and that was in March 2017. Football only blew up six months later. So for me, that, that was not. That's probably why it wasn't as big of an issue either. I was like, been through a lot worse, and so for me, you know, having been through that, I can, you know, it gave me a real appreciation of where other people might be at, and not being able to ask for help or asking for help, and maybe they can't get it any other place and you're not the person they would initially think to go to, but you can help them. Um, you know, and, and I just, you know, and, and five years ago, I wouldn't have had that perspective. I, I, I really wouldn't have, you know, because I think it's something that you've either got to have a firsthand experience of or go through yourself um, to really appreciate it and understand it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's good. I like it. I think it's, it's, it's one of those ones where, um, it's a very it feels very simple you know but it's something that is so simple that i think it is so often off often overlooked and if i was going to like add a caveat to it as well or no or and not a caveat yeah. an extra thing to it i think it applies to how you see yourself as well be a little yeah. be a little kinder to yourself like you know and and this is one that you know i certainly have to remind myself i can be quite harsh on yeah. on myself you know i always laugh when somebody is critical of something that i've done i'm going you're nowhere near as critical of it as i am yeah, right? exactly <laughs> this, <laughs> I, is, this is praise <laughs> i'm a professional critic you should hear the shit that's going on in my head yeah you know but um yeah be a little kinder to yourself as well along the way i think is important some yeah. of the time as well and and you know what i think a lot of that for me is actually you know like because even prior to when i transitioned you know Nearly all of my friends are all female, mm. but, you know, with them not knowing that I was trans and all that, you know, you, you don't get the side, you don't see the side of the female friendships. And then over time, even the ones I knew before, it's, it's completely changed. And, and they're like, yeah, okay, yep, got it. And I see a different side of the friendship now. And I see how harsh these people I really care about are on themselves. Mm. And, you know, I, I, I've got a couple of friends where, you know, I'll hear them say something about themselves and I'll just be like, Sh-, I'll, just, I'll say to them, shut up. And they'll go, what? I'm like, I, you're not talking about yourself that way. And they'll go, no, I've accepted it. It's fine. I'm like, no, shut up. 
you're not doing it. And they probably hate it, but you know, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I just, I hate it. I hate hearing people, you know, talking negatively about themselves or, or anything like that, especially if I care about them. Cause I'm going, hang on, stop, stop there. If you're talking negatively about, negatively about yourself. You know, you've got enough people probably around the world who do that to each other. You don't need to add it to yourself, you know? So, uh, it's can can I ask and I uh, you know I, I don't want to ask yeah like I, I mean I you know I hope you know that everything's offered with you know the best of intentions but these yeah, are new yeah. conversations for everybody and I yeah. don't, I don't want to like ask something that is like an inappropriate thing to ask but um can I ask you because this is the sort of question yeah, I yeah. would ask anyone in this situation on this podcast but is is there a, a particular aspect of your personality of like you, yeah. you, you who you are now, yeah. that you felt like has only really flourished since you've transitioned, like a, you know, an aspect of you. I, I, I don't mean yeah. like you know, physically, everyone. Yeah, yeah. That's what everybody. That's but I'm yeah. more like, what part of you, the person, is? Was there a part of you, the person, that couldn't, you know, be yeah, be fully you in that way I'm, that I'm, now can be? Probably not as standoffish now. I, I think. And look, I, I was never, um, I don't know, people probably disagree, but, you know, I was never someone who was a asshole. but, you know, I, I was very standoffish to a lot of people, but then there'd be a handful of people I would let in and be complete opposite. Right. Because um, I felt comfortable with them. And I'm, I'm not as standoffish now. I'm a lot more open to all sorts of people. I think in a way it was partly a way of, protecting myself to a degree. I don't know what from, mm. but I think there was a part of me that was just really anxious and insecure and just not sure. And not even not sure about what, but just not sure. And, you know, so as a result, it probably came off as really standoffish because I wasn't comfortable in who I was, you know? Mm. And so, you know, that makes it really hard to interact with new people. And especially if, you know, there is some sort of power dynamic involved, you know, and, and there mostly is in nearly every interaction, even, if, you know, I mean, it's really easy to go, oh, work, you've got your boss and your whatever. But I'm just talking about in anything, you know, it's really easy to feel intimidated by certain people you meet just for no reason. And so if I felt that I was very standoffish, whereas I, I'm not that anymore and I don't get intimidated by people I meet just for no reason. Um, and I think that's definitely probably the one thing that's, that's changed the most. I think there's a lot of things, but outwardly that's probably what people would maybe notice. Um, and I'm a lot more, to be honest, I'm a lot more normal, like a lot more calm, a lot more rational. Okay. Yeah. Um, just in, in general, um, you know, now part of that could be when I was in hospital, I was told I was bipolar and then that, right. <laughs> you know, that, that can't be dismissed. Uh, but, you know, I, I think a lot of that has to do with transitioning as yeah. well. Well, I mean, of course, and getting older and all these things. I mean, yeah. chances are it's not just one thing, is it? Like, no. you know, all, a, a million things have happened in your life since then that teach you an amazing amount of lessons. Yeah. So, okay, let's go to the other bit of it now, yeah, then, yeah. you as an athlete, because I, I love the kind of... I work with yeah. Luke Darcy on the radio. He yeah. meditates in the morning. Yeah. You know, he's all about, you know, spiritualism and yoga and, you know, but when he went out, out, out on the field... 
white line fever, you know, once so, punched out Bob Murphy at yeah. training, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And do you have an element of that about the way you go about it? Pretty much done all those things. Yeah. <laughs> and, and not Bob Murphy per se, but yeah, like I've got in fights at training with teammates and things yeah. like that, and I'm not proud of that. No. You know, and that's something that's changed as well. I'm a lot more chilled out now, yeah. you know. Um, before I was just an angry little man when I was on the court, you know, I really was. Um, and I've had to change that too because, you know, girls play differently. Right. To, to boys, you know, playing in the men's team, um, yeah, it doesn't really work when you're playing teams like Spain or whatever because they don't speak English. Right. Or some of them do, but, you know, it's not yeah. their main language. You know, I would love a chat. I, I would get in people's <laughs> ear. I would, you know, and just set them off. And, you know, I, I, no one, if, if no one liked me as a player, I, right. I'm sure of it. I, if I was on your team, probably. <laughs> yeah. Because to, to be fair, you know, when you are the biggest and a very, you know, sport that is a lot of contact, you do have to right. assert yourself Be the for your team. Yeah, the, you're, yeah you're the strength exactly. of the team. You do yeah. have to. That's your role. Because, and especially a sport like handball, you know, yeah. the, the, the number one thing we tell people when they're starting and they're learning to defend is when someone attacks, hit them as hard as you can the first time because they won't come back. Right. You know, and so, or if they do, just do it again. Eventually, they'll stop trying to come through you. Um, you know, and so, yeah, so I've had all those things, you know, gotten in fights on the court, all sorts of stuff. And that hasn't happened since I transitioned. And that is because I am a lot more chilled out now. You know, there is no argument about that. So that's probably another thing that's changed. Um, you know, the girls don't really sledge each other. Um, so I, I put that away a bit. Well, I just put it away. So, you know, which I do miss that side of it because it was a bit of fun. Um, but, yeah, like it's just this white line fever and, and there was no talking sense to me. There was nothing, you know, and I eventually got pretty good at shifting the blame onto the opposition. Right. You know, I remember <laughs> there was one thing I did once. I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of this at all. I did something that was a straight red card every day of the week. I got the other guy sent off for it. Right. Like, so, you know, I, you know, but it's, and that, that was my job in that team. Yeah. It, it's not my job in the women's team because they play differently. It's a handball, men's and women's is a completely different sport. So, what's, what are the what are the differences? Like, why is it such a different sport? Um, so, I think men, by their nature, are very combative and will, you know, and, and just are. And women are as well, but it's in a different way. You know, the women, when you play, are a lot more physical as far as contact goes. So, they will hit each other a lot harder. They'll hit each other a lot more. But, and, and that, again, that's sort of due to the fact that with men's handball, there are players who can shoot from nine and 10 meters from, from the goal. And there's a six meter area you're not allowed in. So you've got that four meters to defend, whereas not as many girls can shoot from outside nine meters. So naturally the game is more about trying to create gaps and break through the defense. Right. And so as they're trying to run through you, you hit them. Whereas with the men, if they're shooting from nine or 10 meters, you can't just run out there and grab them because it'll open up space somewhere else. So, you know, it's not the women. It's a lot more physical. Um, because the space just isn't there. Um, whereas the boys, they're a lot more combative the way they talk. And right. it's still very physical, but because you've got guys with a lot more power shooting from outside, it just changes the dynamics of the game a lot more. Um, women's handball is a lot more tactical, whereas the men, they can shoot from nine, 10 metres, so they do. There's and, still tactics in it. And yeah. a lot of people don't know this, but the men in... Well, I mean, I, I don't know if yeah. it's the men and the women, but I was very aware around 2000 that... There was a whole bunch of like the men in handball who were 
big European sports stars. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, and not just sports stars, but kind of like oh, yeah. rock stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, that's still the case now. Yeah. You know, it is. And the girls are too, you know. Yeah, I mean, right. they are too. There's no taking away from that. I mean, the money that's earned, especially in Europe and the Middle East, is just phenomenal. Um, you know, and especially a few... I don't know if they're still paying us now, but Qatar a few years ago hosted the World Championships and that ran into the Olympics. So they... Um, they basically went off to Europe, found a bunch of players and said, we will give you a million dollars a year, tax-free, you know, US. Yeah. We'll pay your pension. We'll give you a house, give you an apartment to keep after, pay for your kids' education for life if you take a Qatari passport. Right. And that's the sort of money that was on <laughs> offer to switch nations, you know, which a lot rejected it. And so you, you, they generally only got the players who were fringe players from other countries or, you know, played for a national team and couldn't get back in. Um, but you know, the money is phenomenal and these guys are superstars and, yeah. and the girls are as well. You know, they're so easily recognizable anytime you're in Europe or anywhere else. It's, it's people in Australia don't see it. It's like, you know, if Jonathan Brown or Chris Judd would have walked down the street here, it's no, it's no different. Uh, so you have just been away with the team. Where, where, where were you? We were in Japan. So we were right down the very South, which was good because it was warm. Yeah. Um, and we were at the Asian Championships. Um, now, so tell, tell people how it went. Yeah, it was good. We, uh, so we managed to qualify for the World Championships next year, which is in the same city in Japan, um, which for Australia is, is a really great effort. Um, we used to have to go through Oceania, which basically means we would play New Zealand, right. which was a pretty easy path. Um, a few years ago, that was changed to, for Australia to go through Asia. And, and that's really difficult because Asia is a really strong handball um, continent, you yeah. know, the, the Koreans, Chinese, Japanese, they're really strong. Um, Central Asia, you know, Kazakhstan's a really strong team. And, you know, so there's just a lot more competition. And Australia doesn't have the resources really to compete a lot of the time. You know, we, each player had to pay $4,000 to go. Um, the national team trains together once every six weeks, the Australian-based players. Um, and we pay $150 every six weeks to do that, to cover flights and court costs and everything else. Whereas, you know, Japan they got 15 support staff, you know, on a full-time salary. So, you know, we're really up against it so far as resources go, but we managed to qualify. Which so, was- I mean, that's a pretty amazing story in of itself. Um, I wouldn't have known that it had happened if I didn't follow you on Twitter. Yeah. Like, you know, there's been a an awareness of, of that through your involvement in it because, again, I guess this is the flip side of – what the AFL brings to Australia in particular yes. and the interest in the AFL is, yes. and I've said this, like um, Erin Phillips, who uh, won the best player oh, in the... amazing, yeah. Amazing, but she was also one of the best female basketballers in the world. Yeah. But I don't think that people in Australia had a full appreciation of how good a basketballer she was until she came and played in the AFLW because yeah. we are so obsessed by Australian football yeah. that the awareness of... The, she'd actually had an international oh, sporting I think career. three Olympics yeah. and, and, you know, WNBA. Right. And, you know. Like, and in a sport that is played all over the world. But yeah. because we were so parochial, in, yeah, particularly yeah, yeah. in this town, about, like, AFL, that yeah. was like, yeah, okay, well, now she's won the she's AFL. She's all right now. <laughs> yeah, she's she's like, a, she must be good, yeah. But you are seeing all these, like, amazing uh, female athletes who have come from, yeah, a lot yeah. of them have come from other sports and these sort of things. Uh, many of these sports not getting the same level of recognition, yeah. many of these sports being things where you have to slog away on the weekends, not earning any money, uh, you know, often contributing your own yeah. money to be part of it and to, to do these things. So tell me about what 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 it, that is like, you know, being part of a national team going away to do something, but 
not really being, you know, it's not like it's the Australian cricket team or, no. it, you know, some team where you do have all that support and all these sort of things. What's that experience like? I imagine there must be, in some ways, it must be great, great fun as well as being very hard. Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating because, you know, we, I mean, we've put these results out there now where, you know, we've won four games out of six, lost to Japan and Kazakhstan, who are both very, very mm. strong and traditionally very strong. Um, and the funding we've got, from the AO, we do get some funding from the AOC, but I think it's fifty grand over four years, or hundred grand over four years, or something like that. Or it's a hundred grand over four years, but split between the men's and women's team. Right. So it's it's a bit, um, but it's nowhere near enough for a squad of sixteen, and then everything else. And we're it's nowhere really near great. enough we're to re- cover anybody's flights nah, to Japan, let alone. We're really grateful for yeah. that. Like I cannot stress that enough. The money they're giving us is we are so grateful. But yeah, you don't want less. No, we don't want less. That's why I'm saying I'm <laughs> yeah, really grateful. Really grateful. Um, but we are, we are saying we could do with some more. Yeah, yeah. We could certainly do with yeah, some more. And we was, we don't want any less. No, and and it's it's frustrating because you know I mean with with the resources the other teams have, we could more than compete with them and win games at you know a really high international level against good teams. Um, but it makes it hard to retain players as well. Mm. And you know my involvement in the women's team is obviously only recent and. You know, so I don't have a great deal of knowledge about the players I had, say, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. But I know with the men's team, you know, if you look at the players we had, say, between 2005 and 2015, if we could actually keep those players who weren't there anymore because of a financial burnout as much as anything, Mm. we had a phenomenal team, like a really, really good team. But, you know, when you're forking out four grand each time or two grand and paying for your training camps and you know, uniforms, everything else, it, it adds up. It's a very um, expensive hobby to be yeah. able to try to compete with world-class athletes who are in exactly. world-class training programs. But it does make it a lot sweeter when you beat them. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, you know, so th- there is that side of it. And, and you know, there is that element of, you know, we're up against it, but we can do it. And we know we can do it, you know. And I think that really shone through in Japan when we were there. You know, it was really strange um, experience for me and that, you know, we lost the first two games and we knew we needed to finish fifth to qualify. And basically after we lost those two, we had to win the next four and no one was panicking about that. We just went, well, we can do it. And we did. And I remember playing against, um, you know, Iran in the last game and we need to win that to qualify. And I remember going to the game and, you know, this is what happens when you actually manage to hold on to players is that you do this stuff, you know. Because for so long at major international events, our starting team have, you know, been 21, 22 years old. And while you're really fit and enthusiastic, you know, you don't necessarily have the experience at that age to go through certain situations, you know, have them score a few goals on you and go, hang on, that's okay. Um, and, you know, the players we have who are that age now are terrific. Like, they're really great. Um, but what what happened is, you know, I remember the change room before the game, I was talking to a couple of other girls who were starting and... It was just sort of this. It was just this feeling of we're not even nervous. It was just we have a job to do. If we do this and we do this, then we will get it done and we'll win. And that was it. And you know that. And you know you look at the starting team we've got. It was the ages were I think twenty nine, twenty nine, twenty nine, twenty nine, thirty six, and then two who were about twenty two. Um, and that's what you get if you're able to retain the players because it then also helps those younger players play up and, you know, give them a bit more confidence maybe as well. I mean, they're terrific and I'm not talking down about them in any way, but, you know, that's something we've probably really missed in the past is that experience. So, you know, with more funding, we could, if we can hold on to those players, you know, there's, who knows what you could do, but it's it's something too, I think, 
because we don't have the resources, we don't have the strength coaches, we don't have all of that, the players who go off on their own and research, you know, different strength training methods and speed and all that sort of stuff, and then proactively go do it and train themselves individually without someone looking over them. Those who are motivated actually really, really get the award, the rewards for it. Whereas, you know, in other sports, you know, say your AFL system, for instance, where everyone's sort of babysat and handed a program and that's it and everyone does it together, you know, that quality of determination doesn't probably shine through as much. Whereas you've got someone who's really committed and determined and goes and does all these extra things on their own. They get the rewards for it. And you can see the players who do that. And that's probably why we qualified. We have an entire group of players, not just the ones who made the team to go, but a whole squad of 20 players who do those things. And, you know, so that, as much as it's a negative not to have those resources, it does mean people have to be more self-reliant, which is a really positive thing. So when is the world championship? Uh, It'll be finishing about this time next year. So it's not for another 12 months. So we've got time. So you've Uh, got time to get some sponsors on board and stuff because they'll be listening to this podcast because with their checkbooks open. (laughs) Hopefully, yeah. yeah. Wouldn't that be good? You know what? Don't even put a number on it. Just (laughs) sign it and send it. (laughs) That'd that'd be fine. We'll do the work. We'll save your work and write your number in. Um, Yeah. We already know what the number that is not quite enough that we're very grateful for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100,000 over 10 years. <laughs> yeah, four, four years. And look, the thing is, when I say that, we haven't received anything aside from that since 2000. Yeah. So, for, like, when I say we're grateful for it, we really, really are. Mm. Like, the fact that they've actually seen handball and chucked the money in is a real positive. Yeah. So, anyone else who wants to do it, like, we will be equally as grateful. Um, you know, and especially companies that uh, have business interests in Asia and Europe, definitely come on board i mean it's know. a brilliant time it doesn't a- matter if you're seen in australia if, you, if you're trying to sell a product in asia so right. um yeah so look we're we're more than keen for that um you know whatever help we can get is is always more than welcome even if it's physios saying hey come in you know we'll do all that sort of stuff or you know if even if you're a small gym in brisbane or something saying hey players can come in here that are queensland based you know all that stuff because it means you don't then have to pay for it so um it's all it's all appreciated yeah it's very exciting. That's very it's exciting. Cool. Uh, what's a, have you played at a world championships before? Yeah, in twenty thirteen. Um, and so, what's that like playing at a world championships? You know what? It, it, it's pretty cool. Um, but you know what I really like is the fact that now we're going as a whole. There's only a small number of us who have been there before because six years ago now is the last one who are going. Yep, yeah, it's a big deal, but we're not daunted by it, um, which is really good. You know, I can't speak for everyone. You know, but the ones who've been there before, I don't think are. Um, but it's pretty cool. Like I remember, you know, we played Spain in Madrid when they were hosting it and they ended up winning it. Um, and that was something else, you know, was, especially coming from Australia where no one knows who you are. Right. You know, we're sitting in the hotel watching TV and, you know, they've got a full day's broadcast before your game and there's a clock in the middle, you know, seven hours, 36 minutes and 12 seconds till throw off and you're just going like, yeah, right. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I did feel sorry, you know, one day driving to the game because you get the police escort, so you don't stop for red lights or anything like that. And there was a guy, poor guy trying to cross the road and the Spanish police are kitted out and they're, yeah, they, they look pretty ferocious. And this guy, poor guys are trying to cross the road. And this cop on a motorbike's up the front, seeing him going, rides over, kicks him in the stomach and keeps going. I just go, what is this? Like, you know, it's just, it's it's phenomenal, you know. But I guess part of that was the security thing. There's no need to kick the guy. He was about 70 years old. I think. Probably, He's not going to attack probably the bus. Probably no need. He's not going to attack the bus. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's pretty cool. Um, you know, it's... 
it's it's who are the favoured team in the in the female uh, handball um, world? Who's the best? Look, who's the number one? Norway's really strong, um, as are the Netherlands. Russia and France just did really well in the Euros that were there. Romania's really strong. Um, they're just best players did their ACL though, so we'll see. But um, yeah, and, and then the Asian teams are quite strong too. You know, Korea's really really strong. They've won. Um, Olymp- I think they won a gold medal at the Olympics not too long ago. Um, you know, China's really come good. Japan is hosting the next Olympics. So, you know, they've invested a huge amount of money into their handball and they're now a lot stronger than they once were. Um, they've always been strong, but now they've got a really good team. So, um, you know, it could go either way. I mean, one of the teams from Europe will probably win it, but the Asians are pretty strong too. Um, team sports. It, yeah. it seems to be that, like, you you have spent most of your time playing team sports yeah. as opposed to individual sports. Yeah. Um, any particular reason? Like, were you always drawn to team sports over individual sports? Just always did. You know, I, you know, I remember, and bless my mum, she made a big mistake, but she did it. She had me and she's gone, oh, if I'm going to have boys, I should get into sports. So um, she started watching cricket and 25 years later, I said, mum, you sort of could have saved yourself. But um, <laughs> she, so she started watching the cricket, basically knowing that we would be interested in the cricket. Yeah. Um, and then football and stuff as well and you know five years old just go down a little kanga cricket and play soccer and i played a bit of hockey and um obviously football too so i've just always done that um it's never a conscious decision they were just the sports that i gravitated to um and i'm really grateful for that because the individual sports i think left to my own devices i'd probably go a bit insane so you know i don't blame Nick Curios occasionally for, for losing it a bit because you're on your own right you know you're just on your own thoughts you don't have anyone telling you what's right what's wrong uh, you probably should know it, but I don't know. It's it's one of those things. I think I I wouldn't want to do an individual sport. So, but you, it's meant that you've had to be a part of uh, you know a bunch yep. of teams over yep. your life. So, a what do you like get out of that? Like you know, you know what what do you enjoy about being part of a team? Yeah, and what are the most challenging things about being part of a team? Look, I think essentially what I said before. You know, where you lose that group of people that you know. You know, you're, you're friends with, even if you're not, you traditionally wouldn't be friends. You've got very different interests. You're friends because you share a common goal. And so, you know, you instantly are part of a group of people that you know have got your back and you can have, have a good time with and, and do all those sort of things. Um, you know, that's a, that's a huge positive. You know, you also see a very, you know, you see very different sides of the world that you wouldn't otherwise see. You know, I mean, I remember as a, I think I was 14 um, and I started playing senior cricket and I think our captain was a 55-year-old truck driver who chain-smoked out the side of his mouth. And I remember one time, you know, and I'm in high school and played with juniors or whatever, and I remember I was bowling. I hit a guy in the head and, you know, I mean, it was a legitimate ball. He just didn't wear a helmet, so yeah. I thought I'll try and bounce him. And and to be honest, he hit the ground and was unconscious and blood coming everywhere. And I've gone over to see if he's okay. And he's come over to me going, fuck are you doing? See if he's okay. He's going, Is he dead? I don't know. He's gone, no, he's not. So do it to the next prick that comes in. And so you sort of see these different sides of the worlds and you sort of have to evaluate pretty quickly yeah, yeah. where you stand on them. Yeah, you're um, right. Your eyes are open. Yeah, your eyes are open. And, and you know, you wouldn't see that in individual sport because you, you're very much your own focus. And, you know, I, I, through handball especially, you know, it's a sport that's played, you know, in Australia by a lot of people who have moved from other countries or, you know, second generation, you know, their parents mm-hmm. are, or first generation, their parents have moved over from other countries and, you know, you just, you see other parts of the world and different people's perspectives that you wouldn't see, you know, a really good mate of mine who 
he was the coach that was in Canberra. You know, he's from, he was born in Kosovo, uh, born in Australia, but grew up in Kosovo. Um, and when the war was on, went back over there for a little bit before the Olympics. And, um, you know, you, you hear about what life was like under Tito. You hear what, you know, life was like, you know, then moving to Australia, having grown up in, you know, you communist Yugoslavia. Um, you don't get those perspectives otherwise. And, you know, that goes for all manner of people, you know, who you meet, um, just through playing with them. And, you know, that I've got a real interest in Eastern Europe now and I love traveling there basically because of all these stories I've heard from different people that I've played with. Um, and you really do get a, an insight into different cultures and, um, you know, you learn about different people. You know, I mean, I know he he's, he, uh, he said to me, you know, when he was about 18, you know, because he grew up in Bankstown and he kept asking his mates to come over to Bankstown and, and hang out. And they go, no way. And he's gone, why not? He went over to their place once on the North Shore. He's gone, okay, I get it. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'll come over to yours from now on. Um, you know, so I know he sort of saw that side of it too. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, it, it, that's probably the biggest thing, I think. And, you know, I've got some lifelong friendships that have all come from from team sports. So, I, I just love it. And the difficulties, you know, I mean, look, everyone has differences of opinion, um, especially when you're going for probably the same position. Yeah. But that's just competitiveness, you know, and I think no one should be judged by what they're like on a sporting field because it's a completely different beast, you know. I, I remember hearing something about Andre Nell as a cricketer of South Africa, the nicest guy in the world. Crazy on a cricket field, absolute nutcase, but was the nicest guy in the world. And so, you know, you get that a bit um, and that can be challenging because I'm one of those people. And so people judge me for what I'm like on a handball court. And I'm like, well, if you get to know me off it, I'm actually all right, you know, and, and, you know, I still sort of hope people do that a bit because I know it doesn't always happen, but th- that's probably the biggest challenge, but, you know, you, you, all, you get around it. Um, we have to start finishing, yeah. uh, but I, you know, I still have a few more questions. Yeah. So, um, uh, uh, I, there's a couple that I always ask, yeah. so I'll, I'll, I'll get those out of the way and then uh, there's a couple more that I want to ask as well. But, um, uh, do you have any sort of like broader belief system, like, you know, r- religion or, you know, uh, something, you know, like, you know, what, I mean, it, it essentially always comes down to yeah. this question. Do you think there is some sort of you know, bigger meaning to our lives? I think there's a, a bigger meaning to it, but what it is, I, I mean, I, I haven't really put much thought into it because I, I keep things really simple, you know. I mean, I'm not religious, you know, I'm really not. And I, I see the way a lot of religious bodies in the world act and how hypocritical they are, and I, I just can't buy into it. I've, I've never can't. seen an example of that, Hannah. I really? don't know what you're talking about. I'll show you something later. Really? Yeah. I so, believe you know, I will be shocked. <laughs> I, can't, I cannot believe. Surely so, not. No, no. Surely not Surely not the Catholic Church. They're, surely not any, they're angels, aren't they? I assume so. Yeah. It's Christmas. I assume that. that yeah, that's right. It's, it's all under a suppression order. <laughs> yeah. And only good things are under suppression yes. order. So yes. I imagine that it's only good it's news. It's all positive. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I just, it comes back to what I said before, is just be nice to people and be kind. And, you know, I think most religions have that at their heart anyway, you know. Well, the goal of religious, but it just means that's probably a good way to go do things, you know, just be nice. Yeah, no, I mean, that idea that, you know, I mean, it's come up many times and it's essentially central to many of the world's religions which is some form of the golden rule which yeah. is like do unto others as you would have them do unto you yeah or you know you know with caveats but yeah you know not everybody always wants done unto them what you exactly. want done unto you yeah <laughs> be considerate of what people want done yeah. unto them ask first <laughs> yeah exactly. ask for consent <laughs> 
That's it. Yeah, don't just do unto others. No, no. Ask permission Ask, yeah. to do unto others. See if others are comfortable yeah. with you and, doing unto them. And, and understand no. Yeah, exactly. Create a safe Catholics. space where... <laughs> Look, anyway, we can't go into details. No. There's a suppression order. So, uh, but yeah, so no kind of bigger belief, no. but but a belief that we, because this is what it comes to, right? This is where it gets really interesting to me is, because yeah. I'm like you, I, I don't have that sense that there is one true thing, yeah. like, you know, that the Christians have got it right or the Muslims have got it right or the... Any You're of all wrong. <laughs> I imagine knows, that you know, we're all wrong. Probably all wrong. And I'm, I imagine that science is having a, g- a couple of good guesses but doesn't have anywhere yeah. near enough information to have a proper guess yet. Like, so what does it mean? Why is wh- why are we here? And you you were saying that you just don't really think about it that much. Is that yeah, what you're saying? I mean, look, ultimately there probably is no purpose to being here in that you are here to do this, but... I think just through my own experiences and, you know, people I've met and things like that going, well, we may not be, but you know what we can do is while you're here, make everyone else's time here as good as it can be. And, you know, that's sort of what I go by, you know, and and I think that's an extension of, you know, people going, well, you know, here for a good time, not a long time sort of thing, or, you know, you can't take, you know, your bank balance to the grave or that sort of thing, you know, just share, just Make everyone else's time as good as it can be and yours will be too. Uh, so is death a thing that you think about? Is death a thing that has been present in your, you know, thinking previously? Oh, um, uh, look, yes and no. I mean, when I'm flying, yeah, I'm terrible. I hate flying. So okay. that definitely. But look, it's one of those things I, I sort of struggle with a bit because I, I struggle to process it. You know, I, I know that... Um, you know, a girl I went to school with from five years old, you know, and we had this relationship of, you know, I hate you and I hate you, but we didn't, we actually really liked each other and no one else could pick on each other, but we picked on each mm-hmm. other. And, you know, there was that sort of bond there. And, and, you know, when I left Sydney, we didn't really talk again until we were 18 and then it was only for a few months and then she died, you know, and, and I've sort of had this really terrible reaction i didn't cope with it well at all and i'm sort of going why i hadn't seen her for this long like you know we weren't even overly close when we were younger i mean we we, we were but we weren't mm. you know and, and so i really struggle with it um you know just processing it i i don't i don't know i think i think maybe it's something the more you're exposed to it the better you get at it and being you know 29 luckily haven't been exposed to it as much as people who are maybe 60 or 70 or even younger, unfortunately, who have been exposed to it. So, you know, I'm probably lucky in that I don't deal with it well because it means I haven't been exposed to it as much. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It's a, uh, So that's the kind of, you know, the the ones that I like to yeah. ask. Um, I, If you don't mind, I want to yeah. ask a little just about where you think society is at yeah. with our understanding of, what it means i wanted to have a, a yeah. conversation with you that wasn't about you being trans yeah right? yeah but there's questions but, there, so that's fine. but at the same time i want to ask i, I want to ask about where we're at and what yeah. we could be doing better and you know where you think like are we moving in a positive direction yeah. it feels like there is much more awareness and that you know there's much more visibility but at the same time with any step in yeah you know, any process like this of people 
you know, uh, having a new understanding yeah. of people they haven't had a previous understanding of that there's, you know, it goes, yeah, there's a bit of two steps forward, two steps back sometimes. Where do you feel like we're at? Can, can yeah. we talk about that? I, yeah. I, and look, my ex- and I always say when I'm asked this, I only speak for me because yeah. there's people who, you know, are maybe in their 50s and transitioned 20 years ago who have a completely different perspective because, God, things were very different then as compared to now. But for me, you know, I sort of feel like the best way to explain it to people is being trans is where being gay was 30 years ago. Yeah. You know, and it's just not accepted. Um, or it was there, but, you know, let's not talk about it yeah. sort of thing. You and, just assumed that those two old women who'd always lived together yeah, in the friends. country town were just real good mates. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uncle Bill and his roommate. You know. um, and, and I think, you know, people are obviously, you know, they're fine. And 90% of people are fine with trans people. But... You know, I think what ended up happening and why being gay became so accepted is everyone realized in the end that they knew someone who was gay. Um, and that was because, you know, they've either gone, I really like Queen. Oh, Freddie's gay. What? <laughs> and they've gone, well, I still like his music. And then because someone saw that and yeah. he, well, he never came out, but, you know, other people who are well known came out, you know, that meant the kid down there has gone, oh, I'm gay too. And I've gone, oh, you're my brother. You're all right. Mm. And then people would go, I'm not homophobic anymore because my brother's gay and he's all right. And it sort of spread that way. And everyone realized they knew and liked someone and was friends with someone or related to someone who was gay. And then that meant it all became pretty accepted because of that. Being trans, you know, people don't necessarily... It's a bit different. They don't know that they know someone who's trans perhaps um, because, you know, they don't tell them. You know, like if, if, say, for example, someone who's gay decides to introduce to their partner, it's pretty clear, mm. you know, that, you know, they're two guys or two girls or whatever. But, and let's assume this person who's trans doesn't look like me or sound like me because I get it, you know, and they pass and no one knows they're trans and they introduce to their husband or wife. How that means nothing. So, you know, I, I think as well, the other thing that plays into it is people have their ideas of what a male and a female should look like and be. And so, you know, they may be fine with, and I, and I use the trans female here just because it's easy for me, the five foot two, 60 kilo trans woman, because it fits their expectation. Whereas they see me and they go, no way, you know? And so, you know, we still need to change that. And I think a lot of people feel they're a lot more accepting than they are. And you see this all the time, like, and yes, don't read the comments, but a lot of the comments or messages that I get say, I'm all for transgender people and you being who you are, but... And I'm going, well, if there's a but there, you're mm. not. Yeah. But Every- you think you are. Yeah. <laughs> you know? As granddad used to say, everything before the but is bullshit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I think there's a challenge in showing people that if there's a but, you yeah. actually probably aren't, you yeah. know, so... Um, well, I mean, one of the issues... Well, so I, I know myself in that, I think there is a great, uh, you know, I would put myself in that category of people who I believe that I am, you know, very open-minded to, I'd like to hear everybody's stories. And, you know, I don't think there is one sort of definition of what a person should be. And that I think that, you know, I've always believed that our, our shades of sexuality and our shades of, you know, hu- humanity and all these things are on spectrums, yeah. you know, and and that, you know, somebody who is, you know, great one day can be, you know, terrible the next yeah. day. Like, you know, that the idea that we think that anybody is all one thing or all another thing is has always been a foreign idea to me. But 
I think that like you know the visit like you know it's not like trans people are new right as no. you said been around forever but there's a new visibility there's a yeah. new sort of socially prominent a social prominence yeah. to issues and debate and ideas around trans people and even I I mean not even I but yeah. I mean as someone who feels very comfortable with the idea still I'm being very comfortable about the way that I talk about yeah, things yeah. and whatever because you don't want to it's not so natural to us still that you so easily choose your words that you so and I don't think that's a bad thing by the way I think no. it's good to put myself through this work to make sure but there are ways of, of me talking about this now yeah. that I might not have talked about it 10 years ago and my intentions would have been the same but my language would have been yeah. different and you know example. what it's as much as we're behind it's changing though like mm. I know a really really good friend of mine who I know you know as well Emma Race she's I love Emma yes and you know, I met her about a bit over a year ago and met all her kids and they're great. I have a great time with them. And then she rang me one day about six months later, uh, you know, after I'd first met her and she's gone, I just had the funniest conversation. I won't say her name with her oldest daughter. And I've gone, oh, what is it? She's gone. She came up to me and she's gone and she's gone. She asked me about you and all this sort of thing. She's gone. Okay. She's gone, mom, guess what I'm going to name my babies. Gone, I don't know. She's gone, if I'm going to have a boy, it's this. I'm going to have a girl, it's going to be this. And if I have a transgender child, it's going to be called this. <laughs> and there was sort of a, it's not quite how it works, but the, 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 sure. but the acceptance and the yeah. nonchalance of it shows where kids are as opposed to adults. And, that, and that's part of it. And I think as well, you know, the trans community has to take a role in and accept that the language they use and the way they react to things plays a part in acceptance too. Because I know that there's a lot of people that I know even still now, and I'm not, someone who really is part of the trans community at all. Like I said, it takes up about half percent of who I am. So mm. It takes about that much of my time. But so many people I see, you know, someone will really honestly make a mistake and accidentally misgender them through no malice whatsoever. And, you know, if and I, I'm of the view if someone accidentally makes a mistake, people make mistakes. It's fine. It's not malicious. Um and so you let it go. But a lot of people, even when there's no malice involved, will just absolutely fly off the handle and really give it to them. And I'm still going, guys, it, it doesn't help. You know, like they're going to go away and go, trans people are crazy. Right. And, you know, there are some who are, just like there are some straight people who are crazy. There are cisgender people who are crazy. But, you know, it doesn't help when, you know, you get very, very easily offended at things that really shouldn't be taken offense over. And I think that's changing now a bit. You know, I think people are a lot more, trans people are a lot more understanding of, you know what, people make mistakes, we get it. But in the past, it hasn't been the case and it really hasn't helped. But it's also um, one of those things, isn't it? Like you said before about visibility. Like yeah. how important visibility is. Like in that same way as if you can see a whole bunch of, like I, you know, I've said this many times before on this podcast, yeah. but uh, grew up on a dairy farm in country Victoria. Yeah. yeah, my brother's still on that farm. My dad was on that, yeah, he's been yeah. on the same road all his life. But I grew up thinking that I could be like a stand-up comedian because people who were stand-up comedians that I saw on the TV yeah. all looked like me. Yeah. So even if like they all still looked like me, right? Yeah, yeah. And so like you said, like, you know, I probably, I mean, I would have known a lot of gay people growing up, but yeah. I, did, I can't remember knowing that any of them were gay. Yeah. It wasn't until I moved to the city and... Uh, chose a career yeah, yeah. in the performing arts, Hannah. That yeah. I Wait, found what, what, myself surrounded by homosexuals in the performing arts. I know. I'm shocked. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went from a dairy farm in yeah, yeah. Victoria to that was that the Melbourne shock. performing arts. 
fair to say, dived in the deep end yeah, yeah. when it came to. And you know, some of my, my yeah, immediately some of my best friends in the yeah. world were gay people, and then immediately I realised how little a part of that, as you said, it's it's not, it's such a small thing yeah. to you because. It's like me saying, uh, I'm a straight white bloke. Okay, well, that's done. Yeah. And, well, then, so I get, I and then I get on with my day. Cool. Yeah, like, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, and that's pretty much where I'm at. And that's where this confusion comes from. Yeah. People go, oh, you know, you, you, you're not doing the, you know, yeah. the, I'll react to certain things and I'll say, and they'll go, oh, you're doing yourself a really disservice in this, you know, thing that you're trying to push. Well, I'm not trying to push anything. I'm just no. here, you know? Yeah. So, like me or not, I don't really care. Yeah, I'm not the, but that's the, N- not the problem. It's just one of the it's things. It's just that, something. That it's just something came, that comes with being yeah. you know, a visible. When there are, you know, fifty people who yeah. are having the exact same situation, then you'll have that thing of going. Well, Hannah's story is very different to you know Jerry's story, exactly. and Jerry's story is yeah. very different to blah blah blah. And then you can see the full gamut of, in the same way as like you know Hannah Gadsby, you know, if you would look at Joel Creasy and Hannah Gadsby yeah. as being. Well, they're both gay, and they're both gay in exactly the same way. Oh, yeah, totally. I imagine, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah, and, yeah, and, and I think that's one of those things is is eventually, you know, you probably get to the point, you know, someone like Joel Creasy who is totally comfortable with being himself and right. is so celebrated for that. You know, you'll probably get to the point where trans people are like that too, and you will have a six foot, bloody hundred kilo trans person who is celebrated for that. And I'm not asking to be, I couldn't really care less, but society will get to that point where they go, yeah, cool. You found size 15 shoes. That's awesome. Not going, oh, gross. They have yeah. big feet. I mean, you size know? 15 shoes are hard to find. Trust me. I regardless. Know. The are you a 15? I'm Is a that 15, yeah. I'm a 15. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Whereas at the moment, people are a bit grossed out by that for some reason. They're going, oh, that's very manly. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I, this has been really fun. Um, I've been ex- – I like, I genuinely – uh, I mean, we've only met once previously. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. Once so, previously yeah. at the Outer Sanctum live podcast, I reckon yeah. we met, and uh, um, uh, as you said, uh, Emma Race and um, all the who amazing- is desperate to come on. By the way, oh, throwing she- her in the deep end. Yeah, yeah. no, no, I'd, I'd, I'd love her to come <laughs> on the podcast. I, I also like one of the ways that I like to book this podcast is if someone comes up. Yeah. I always like to then later on have them. So it always feels like it's a little bit of an interconnected yeah, yeah. story. So you've done the magic thing. Thank by, you. If you say her name, it immediately gives me a like. It, they, um, she owes me now because she's wanted to be on this for a while, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just going to talk to her about um, yeah. uh, what, you know, what would make her really uncomfortable. Oh, just about Andy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> you know what? Just ask her about an hour of the front bar. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what's it like working with Mick Malloy? Yeah. What's Sam Pang really Hutto, like? Hutto. Put yeah. Hutto in there. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. There's a story behind that. <laughs> Um, have you got anything that you would like to plug? Uh, we'll plug the the obviously the handball team. If there are anybody out there who does genuinely like you know want to help you know this Australian team that's qualified for the yeah. World Championships, you've got a year. So the yeah. idea that someone could come in, get a little you know bit of publicity, a little um you know a little uh, money coming your way, you know helping out people like you said in different places, you know for a team that's going to the World Championships is a really cool thing. Yeah. So is there somewhere that people can get in contact with either you? or the team or something if they want to get in contact with me I mean I'm on the board of Handball Australia which helps so if they want to get in contact with me or anyone on the board or the team just 
Twitter or Instagram or email Handball Australia. I don't know the email address, but it's there somewhere. But look, it's a legitimately big market. You know, the TV audiences are pretty massive. Um, you know, the teams that are competing, half of them will be playing at the Olympics six months later. Um, you know, it's pretty big. So, um, and look, I'll do anything within reason for cash. So, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to, I'm happy to, I'm happy to shell your product a bit. But you um, should have led that with, with that as your philosophy. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that might have been a whole different podcast. Probably should be. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So look, and you know, we've got a, a team that you know is universally well behaved. We're not some national teams we've got. So there's no scandals. We're not. You know, the NRL at the moment. So, you know, well, we're well behaved, we're I mean, a positive image. And it's a good, way to, it. good exactly. way to put it. Exactly. So, women's sport's a big thing right now. Okay. Well, that's a. Uh, okay. Well, just yeah, before we do go, because now we've stumbled onto that. All right. Sure. Sorry. And I'm sure <laughs> that if we get Em on, we'll talk about women's sport yeah. as well. But it is an exciting time for women's sport, isn't yeah, it? Like, I it mean, it, it, despite the naysayers, and there are, you know, plenty of those as well, and there always will be, this really does feel like, certainly in my lifetime, it feels like a time where there is so much excitement around women's sport. The Australian uh, women's cricket team were just yeah. magnificent uh, recently. Uh, the AFLW has just been a revelation to me. Yeah. I have like loved watching, you know, the the women play football and the way that they, they are play football. So hard at the ball, it's and, ridiculous. I mean, it's crazy, and they're yeah. and it, you know you can see that it's only going to get yeah you know, more and more intense and more and more skillful as, as it goes on. So it's amazing to see all that. But it does very much feel like there is, you know, it is an emerging time for, for women's sport. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, it's really great. I mean, I don't have any kids, but I've got a lot of friends who have daughters and, you know, to know that, you know, their daughters at five years old or 10 years old or wherever they are now can look to what bo- only boys could really look at before and go, I want to be a footballer, I want to be a cricketer or whatever, and have those same opportunities is just phenomenal. You know, it really is. Um, and I think it just, you know, it, it actually hopefully helps girls a bit too in the sense that any girls before who played sport were all labelled tomboys or lesbians and picked on and whatever else. And hopefully now those girls who want to play sport aren't picked on because you look at women like Erin Phillips or Daisy Pierce or... Even someone like Lauren Jackson, who is a probably yeah. previous generation of the kids growing up now, you know, and go, no, this is what girls do. They play sport, you know. So hopefully it gets rid of that as yeah. well. I mean, you look at someone like Sam Kerr, you know, playing, you know, football and stuff like yeah. that, and you just think... She's not Daniel Kerr's sister anymore. No. It's the other way around. Exactly. You know? Absolutely that is the case. It's, I yeah. mean, she's just a worldwide superstar. Oh, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it was, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Um, the dogs loved it as well. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm going to put you. I'm, I'm going to say. I'm going to put you in the category of uh, uh, definitely top five most loved by my dogs who've done the podcast. All right, awesome, awesome. So you know, I'm happy. I'm happy about that. Dog, dogs are a good judge, or at least I'm going to say they're a good judge now. <laughs> yeah, I think that is the case. Yeah. I'm going to go with that as well. Thank you so much for doing this today. No, no worries. Thank you.